Welcome to X-Men Unraveled, the podcast that follows the X-Men stories in chronological order. I'm your host, Noelle. Last episode, I covered Jean Grey joining the X-Men, so now we have the full team together. And in this episode, they finally faced their first threat, Magneto. Last time we left him, Magneto had just flown away with a bunch of Nazi gold after disagreeing with Charles Xavier about the future of mutants and their place in the world. I did a two-part explainer of Magneto's early life and meeting with Charles Xavier a while back, so if you missed those episodes or need a refresher, you can go back and check them out. I am going to pick up from basically right where I left off to catch up on what Magneto has been doing while Charles Xavier has been putting together his teenage mutant team. By this time, Magneto has fully gone down the road to villainhood, entirely justifiably in my mind, and this sets him on course to conflict with the X-Men. I know the X-Men are the heroes, but this podcast is a pro-Magneto space, and if you don't like that, then you're wrong, because Magneto was always right. And Magneto is going by the name Eric Magnus Lencher at this point, but we'll see him take on the persona of Magneto in the issues today. So let's catch back up with our real hero, Magneto. In classic X-Men number 19, we get the story I, Magneto, where Eric is in the midst of his Nazi hunting career. Which is great because he's most likely using the Nazi gold that he stole to fund this endeavor. And he is working with an intelligence agency, although which one and in what capacity isn't detailed. It seems most likely that he is connected with the Israeli intelligence agency Mossad, and he was previously living in Haifa, Israel. So, to catch some Nazis, Eric travels to South America. He doesn't have his classic suit yet, so he's in this magenta jumper with a light blue belt and boots. Honestly, I don't hate it, and he's rocking his white hair loose without a helmet. Eric tracks down a military fort controlled by a group of Nazis and casually walks up to the gate. The guards are all confused and asking each other what the heck this dude is doing. I would imagine Nazis don't get very many unexpected guests, probably a pretty small circle of friends and associates. But Eric calmly continues walking up and then uses his powers to rip off the gates and go inside. And then he gets to go off. The Nazis, of course, try to shoot him, but he's able to deflect all of the bullets. So then they bring out a tank. But this is not a problem for Eric. He just lifts it up into the air and lets it crash back down to the ground to destroy it. After that, another man tries to snipe him from a building and Eric realizes it's just the man he's after, Hans Richter, a former SS officer. Rather than walk inside and play cat and mouse with Richter, Eric decides it's much easier to launch another tank at the building, knocking down the wall to the room where Richter is hiding. Then Eric flies up and tells Richter that his presence was sorely missed at the Nuremberg trials, where Nazis were tried and sentenced for their crimes. Richter does the whole spiel about just being a soldier and serving his country in war, but Eric cuts him off and says he's just there to bring Richter to Israel for a trial. He is not there for explanations or excuses. And Richter has the absolute gall to ask Magneto 
if he thinks he's going to get a fair trial, quote, from Jews. But Eric, with no time for Richter's bullshit, responds that his trial will be much fairer than Richter's own actions to Jews during the Holocaust. With Richter captured, Eric has time to dig through his office and find files with details about the underground network that the Nazis who have escaped Europe have built. He is quite happy to have the intel to continue his mission tracking down more Nazis, and with the job done, Eric calls his contacts to have Richter taken in and transferred to Israel for trial and prosecution. I love this whole section of this issue. In the movie First Class, Magneto is going after Nazis, and that was one of my absolute favorite parts of any X-Men movie. I know that's not a hype bar, but I love it. And I, I think we need a whole movie about it. I don't know if anyone else agrees, but that's just my personal opinion. Anyway, after dealing with Richter, Eric goes to Rio de Janeiro. He's taking some time off at a resort on the beach, not exactly relaxing. He's still at a suit, sitting at a restaurant, and reading a newspaper article about Charles Xavier, who is lauded as the foremost authority on human mutation and its potential for good. Magneto says to himself, Still the idealist, my old friend, and I feel like it's safe to add an eye roll to that sentence. But he actually does think about reaching out to Charles and helping him in his teaching endeavors, until he gets distracted by a pretty woman in a bikini named Isabel who comes up to talk to him. He leaves his grand plans alone for a minute and spends the day with her. Back in their hotel room later, they're getting pretty close, but then... Eric starts thinking about his wife Magda, who left him after the death of their daughter and the revelation of Eric's powers. Reliving the traumatic experiences brings on an intense headache, and Isabel tries to help by giving him a massage. Eric has also been having headaches after using his powers, but this one is brought on by the memories of his old life. But as Isabel is trying to give Eric a massage, a group of men break into the room and attack her before Eric can do anything. One of the men murders her, and another starts berating Eric for his actions at the Nazi base. These men are agents working for the intelligence agency and tell Eric that he should have followed orders and not gone off on his own, because, he says, Richter was one of theirs. Eric is furious, asking basically, what do you mean a Nazi is a fucking Nazi, and by the way, why did you kill my girlfriend? But the agent tells him that the past doesn't matter anymore, and the real enemies now are the Russians. And that's enough for Magneto. He attacks the men while making a speech about humans no longer being fit to rule the world. And he announces that he will bring his own people to glory, and mutants will rule. He kills the men and calls himself Magneto, leaving to set new plans in motion while no longer working with or cooperating with humans. In Magneto number 1 from 2010, Magneto makes his way to New York to figure out his path forward after the events in South America. Obviously, he's not going to work with governments collaborating with former Nazis, and he doesn't believe in the dream of Charles Xavier, so he has to make his own path. He's also aware of the emergence of costumed heroes on the world scene with their own powers, and is inspired to follow suit. I'm so sorry for that pun. 
In New York, he makes his way to Brooklyn, where there is an enclave of mutants living and passing as human. They keep their powers to themselves because while superpowered heroes might be becoming more common, antipathy towards mutants is still high. In Brooklyn, he goes to meet with a young mutant named Cassandra Michaels. She is a tailor and clothing designer with ill-defined clothes-creating powers, and Magneto wants a snazzy new suit of his own. You can't claim to be the rightful ruler of the world without looking the part. And Cassandra is the one who designs Magneto's classic red and purple suit. After she finishes his outfit, Magneto makes a disparaging comment that Cassandra might be wasting her abilities, and she's obviously offended and tells him that some mutants are content living their lives and not standing out for their powers. Apparently, Magneto didn't offend Cassandra too much because later that night, the two of them go out to dinner, which I do feel like is a little uncomfortable because Cassandra looks pretty young. So here's to hoping she's just drawn to look like she's in her early 20s, or maybe it's her mutant power to also look young, because she definitely seems quite a bit younger than Magneto. But as they're on their way home, a giant King Kong-type creature starts rampaging through the area, more like a zombie King Kong. And it's apparently been brought to life by a mutant in the area who's been repressing their powers, and they have unintentionally created this monster. So Magneto puts on his new suit and takes out the creature, momentarily playing the hero. Cassandra is impressed, and Magneto tries to get her to come with him and join his cause, but she turns him down. He is pretty rude back to her, and she says that he better get used to not getting his way, or he won't be anyone's hero in the future. Foreshadowing. So Magneto takes his new suit and heads off on his own again. Magneto's next story also has to do with a woman and has important implications down the road for the X-Men. This one comes from X-Factor number 243, published in 2005. Magneto has an affair with a married woman named Susanna Dane, and Susanna becomes pregnant and has a baby girl named Lorna. It seems that Magneto did know about the pregnancy, but after the affair is over, he's back on his usual crusade. So Lorna spends her early childhood with her mother and the man that she thinks is her father, named Arnold. But one day, when she's still little, the family is traveling by plane. Arnold is a pilot, flying the plane, and Susanna is sitting in the cockpit with him. Lorna is taking a nap back in the seats in the cabin, and her parents start arguing. Arnold has learned about the affair and takes this opportunity to confront Susanna about it. The two of them start getting angry and yell at each other, and Arnold says that he knows Lorna is not his biological child. Lorna hears the yelling and wakes up. She is obviously upset at hearing her parents fighting. She walks up to the cockpit and tells them to stop, but they yell at her and tell her to leave and continue their argument with each other. Lorna is getting more and more upset because she can still hear the yelling. And she starts crying, and her mother comes back and yells at her to shut up, which is pretty mean, but there's a lot of emotions going on. But by now, Lorna is extremely agitated, and her body starts emanating this green light, and her mutant powers have emerged in this high-stress moment. 
and suddenly she emits an enormous magnetic pulse from her body that tears the plane apart. Her powers, it turns out, are very similar to Magneto's. Susanna and Arnold are both killed in the plane crash, but Lorna's powers saved her, and she is alive in the wreckage on the ground. Conveniently, the enormity of the magnetic pulse from her powers alerts Magneto to something going on, and he arrives with the mutant Mastermind to the crash site. Mastermind has the ability to create illusions. Magneto knows this is his child, and he tells little Lorna that her powers have appeared early and she isn't ready either for her powers or his plans for her. And he goes on to say that she needs a normal environment to grow up in. So he has Mastermind use his illusion powers to rewrite her memories. He takes away her memories of the crash, the knowledge of her powers, and the memory of her interaction with Magneto and Mastermind. And she ends up being raised by another family member. It's a long time before Lorna learns the truth, and the trauma comes to haunt her as she gets older, even if she doesn't remember exactly what happened. At this point, I think it's fair to say I might be a Magneto fan, but he's a real shitty dad. So all of these events catch us up on what Magneto has been up to in the years since he parted ways with Charles Xavier, and now he faces the X-Men as an enemy for the first time in Uncanny X-Men number one. At the X-Mansion, Xavier tells the X-Men that their mission is to protect mankind from evil mutants who hate humans and want to rule the world. He's not saying their goal is to keep mutants safe from a world that hates them, which seems important to mention. Then we cut to Magneto announcing to himself that his time has come and he has completed his months of planning to ensure that mutants will control the world. He says that humans no longer deserve that place and Homo sapiens should bow to Homo superior. Then we see Magneto put his plan into action. He sabotages a missile launch at a U.S. military base called Cape Citadel. Um, but that's not all. Next, he sends machine guns and tanks out of control before creating a message in the sky with magnetic particles, and it says, Surrender the base or I'll take it by force. And it's signed at the end, Magneto, in cursive. It is entirely possible that my support of Magneto comes from his love of being absolutely extra at all times. The military leaders at the base have no idea what's happening and obviously don't surrender. They're just wondering who or what a Magneto is. Seeing them refuse to surrender, Magneto then activates a missile and launches it at an unmanned ship to demonstrate that he is able to completely control the base. Having made his point, Magneto arrives at the base and casually strolls inside as he stops any attacks from the soldiers' guns, um, either deflecting the bullets and partly from a force field that he creates. He then makes his way to the general and demands that the base be handed over to him. Back at the X-Mansion, we see Jean trying on her new blue and yellow X-Men suit, while her other comrades watch her like a bunch of absolute creeps. When she realizes what they're doing, she confronts them and Hank, who takes the role of head creep, says, Easy, gorgeous, we were just passing by. Don't go getting mad. They were literally piled, like, on top of each other, 
watching around the corner if you think that Jean overreacted. But before the situation goes any further, Xavier sends a telepathic message for them to get over to his study. Could have used a message about not being pervs, but I don't know that Charles Xavier at this point is well-suited to give that message. When they arrive, Xavier tells them that they need to go defeat the evil mutant taking over the military base. So the five teenagers suit up, make their way to the base, and offer their help to the military. It's worth noting that they seem to be able to just come inside. No one knows who the F the X-Men are at this point, so I guess they were just desperate. The X-Men find Magneto and launch their attack. Cyclops uses his eye beams to break through the magnetic force field that Magneto has been using to protect himself, but Magneto still has control of the base's weapons, and he sends hunter missiles after the X-Men. Iceman is able to use his powers to stop most of them, but one is still loose, so Beast and Jean team up to stop it and send it out to the ocean without harming anyone. After a few more minutes of fighting, Magneto is able to temporarily take the X-Men out of action and escape, but with his mission ending in failure. The General thanks the X-Men for their work, and their first outing as a team is a success. And that is the first adventure of the X-Men as a full team, if not defeating Magneto, at least putting a stop to his plan. Of course, he will be back to face the X-Men in many more situations and to carry out more wild plans, but the stories before his first fight with the X-Men show how Magneto might have gotten to this point, especially one where he sees human governments willing to ignore the crimes of Nazis for their own gain. Magneto is interesting because he has this grand goal in mind, but he has no real desire to be a hero. He knows what he wants to protect mutants, and he's clearly willing to go to any length to secure that hoped-for future. The contrast with Xavier, who wants to protect humans from mutants, is important, because mutants are the oppressed group, which becomes very clear as time goes on, yet Xavier seems to be ignoring or overlooking this fact in his own plans. And in this first story, he risks the lives of four young mutants on behalf of humans. Usually the truth is somewhere in the middle, but that doesn't stop me from rooting for Magneto, even in these early 60s comics where he's pretty out of control. Thanks for joining me today. I was happy to get back to Magneto for a minute, so I hope my pro-Magneto propaganda isn't too much. I'm not going to stop, so more of a warning than an apology, I guess. Next time, I'll cover the X-Men's second villain encounter, The Vanisher. For a while, we'll mostly be following the original comics in order, which is a weird change from jumping around all the time from series to series. But the 60s comics can be pretty ridiculous at times. Still, it's fun to go back and read them. And it's not like there hasn't been a decent amount of dark shit in the comics that I've covered, so think of it as a break from that. If you are enjoying the show, please leave a review wherever you listen, or share it with anyone you think might be interested in hearing the X-Men stories. And check out the podcast Instagram at X-Men Unraveled. I'll definitely be sure to post Magneto's Magenta Jumper. Talk to you next time, and don't forget, Magneto was right.